You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So if you got your Bibles, we're in Matthew 21. We're going to be looking at the little parable at the end of that chapter. And so I encourage you to, to grab your Bible, open it up to there, and let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. Matthew 21, starting at verse 33 and reading down to the end of this chapter. So listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He released it to tenant farmers and went away. And when the time came to harvest the fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? He will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the Bible? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but whomever it falls, it will shatter him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they knew he was speaking about them. Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because the people regarded him as a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, teach us, speak to us this morning. God, we love you, and may you increase our love for you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So we're kind of jumping into the middle of a conversation here. So if you're just joining us, it kind of feels like that. It's like, okay, what's going on here? What's he talking about? So this is the middle of a conversation that that Jesus is having with religious leaders, the Pharisees and the elders, the religious leaders of this time. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the temples where everything's kind of slowing down here. You know, from chapter 21 all the way to the end of this book, it takes about a week. You know, up to this point from 1 to 21, covered about 30 years, 33 years. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, that's a lot of time. So right now we're slowing the breaks down and he's having this conversation with them that began with this, with this question. What authority are you doing these things? Who's giving you this authority to speak like this and to do the things that you're doing. And then Jesus, you know, kind of answers them with this little riddle with John the Baptist, you know, where did his authority go? And they're kind of stumped, like, I don't know. Then Jesus goes, well, I'm not gonna tell you where my authority comes. And then what he does in kind of an indirect way, he tells three sun-themed parables. And that's where we're at. We're in the middle one. So the first one was last week. If you remember, you know, it's the two boys. Dad says, hey, go do this. One says, yep, 
I'll go do it, and then doesn't go do it. The other one says, no, I won't. That's a dumb idea. But he then goes and does it, right? That's the sun-themed parable. Another one right here, and the second one, and then the third one is next week, and they all increase in their intensity. And this one we're looking at today, it's actually a story that's very familiar to the Israelites, like the the religious leaders, because it's coming out of Isaiah 5, Isaiah chapter 5. And what Jesus does here is so fascinating. He's amazing. He's brilliant. He's the most brilliant man who ever walked on the face of the earth. So whenever you think about who is the most brilliant person, you think Jesus. He is the most brilliant man to ever walk on the face of the earth. But he, he retools and reshapes this parable in Isaiah chapter 5 to make it about him. Because that's what it's about. It's about the son, the son that was sent. So all I want to do this, this morning, and I know we had like a pre-sermon that shrunk my time out here, so we're going to work through this kind of quickly. But I got three um, kind of observations that I want to make about this passage that I believe Jesus is trying in his gracious way get to the heart of these religious leaders. Like he's not just like done with them. He's not just like, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Using whatever language he wants to use against them because they're constantly fighting and trying to trap him. We know they want to kill him and Jesus knows this, but Jesus has a desire for them to know him. He has a desire for them to, to worship him. And so he's just not done with them. And so I think these three observations, he's trying to get at the heart of these religious leaders and vicariously, he's trying to get at us this morning here in 2020. So the first one is this. The leaders, quote unquote, forgot, right? And the reason why I put in quotes is because they really didn't forget. It's it's all rooted in sin. But they forgot they were tenants and took on an attitude of being owners. The leaders, these religious leaders that Jesus is having a conversation with, forgot they were tenants. Or another word you can use there is stewards. And took on an attitude of being owners. And we do the same. Pay attention here. Look what he says in the, uh, the first part of this parable where, he, where we kind of emphasize all that the landowner has done. <laughs> like, look what he says here. Listen to another parable. There's the landowner. What has he done? Who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower and he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. And when the time came for the harvest fruit, he sent a service to the farmers to collect whose fruit? Say it out loud. His fruit. Why is it his fruit? Because he owns the land, right? It's his land. He's done everything to make this land have the ability to bear fruit. It's, it, it belongs to him. And the time came of the harvest. He sent his servants to go collect his fruit. The farmers took his servant. He beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group. And they did the same thing. And finally, he sent his son to them. And they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. This is crazy, right? I mean, this is some really bad hires. Amen, right? You know, every business book says, man, the most, most important thing you can do for your organization makes you hire right people. Well, this is a bad hire. Three, I mean, this is horrible. And we got to remember uh, some things about this story. Like, like, this is a story that people would be familiar with. This is kind of like 
you know, there, there is a little curveball at the end, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute. But they would, they would recognize the story because in this time, you know, as we know, they didn't have planes, they didn't have cars, they didn't have internet. And so, so owners of land would be, would be gone away for a long periods of time. I mean, this is not abnormal. This is what was kind of happened in this day. Second thing you need to know also is that uh, how kind of um, land ownership would happen. So most of us are, I don't, I don't know, I didn't raise hands in the nine. Are, are we familiar with the, is, is the common law of marriage, is that kind of still in existence? Okay, I got a head, head change. So, yeah, so common law of marriage is basically, you know, if you live together for a certain amount of time, we're just going to call it what it is, right? Your, your husband and wife, right? You're married. After, I don't know how many years it is, but if you're just living together for a number of years, like, let's just call it what it is, right? You're, you're married. So this is a similar thing in those days that, that if a, uh, a tenant worked a piece of land long enough without the owner present, it would become his land, typically about three years here. And so this is what's going on here. These tenants are trying to own the land that is not theirs. It's not about the fruit, right? It's not about like, I want to get the fruit. No, it's about owning the land. That's why we see in verse 38 where he says this, but when the tenant farmers saw the sun, they said to each other, oh, we better get out of here because we're in big trouble. <laughs> Obviously it's not there, right? It's just Supposed to be kind of funny, but nobody laughed at that one. This is, this is what they said. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. What are they trying to do? They're trying to own the land. They're trying to keep the owner away long enough, even if they have to kill. So that it can be their land. They want to own it. In other words, these tenants are trying to live like owners. They're acting like there's something that they're not and they're going to kill anyone that reminds them who they really are. They're tenants. They're stewards. They're not owners. And this is what, exactly what Jesus is trying to help these leaders see. He's trying to help these religious leaders see, man, you've missed it. You're missed it here. You've forgotten that your responsibility is to be a tenant, to be a steward of this. Instead, you're taking on an attitude of being a master, an owner. And every one of us in this room do the same. I mean, we talk about this a lot around here. Why do we talk about it a lot around here? Because we all forget, Amen. We all forget. Like nobody's knocking this out of the ballpark. We're not batting, you know, 100% on this. None of us are. We always forget that all of life is a gift. All of it is. And what we have a tendency to do over and over because of the proneness of our own sinful hearts is that we want to take ownership. We want to own. We want to call the shots. We want to do what we want to do. Nobody tell me how to do this or how to live my life, whatever. We're always kind of having this little battle where we can't humbly recognize that we're tenants, we're stewards, that all of life is a gift, all of it. And we want to operate as if we own. And we see this in Romans chapter 1. I was reminded of this even when James was kind of pulling out some passages in that chapter and I mean, Paul is helping us see, man, like, 
No one's without excuse. Just read home, read Romans chapter one. No one's without excuse. God has graciously revealed himself. I mean, it's, it's just so plain to the world that there is a God. And look what he says here in verse 21. For though they knew God, for though they knew the existence of God, what have we done? They did not glorify God as God or show gratitude or give thanks to him. So it's, it's interesting that the, that the two sins that Paul brings out here are like the two main things of all of humanity. And look, he's not talking about somebody out there. He's talking about us. For even though we knew God, we don't, we don't glorify him. We don't honor him. We don't, we don't exalt him and bring him the status that he's well-deserved of. We don't make him famous. We want to make ourselves famous. We want to make ourselves great. We want to put ourselves in his positions. We don't glorify him as God, nor do we show gratitude, give thanks. Why would Paul make that an emphasis? What do you say when you get a gift? I mean, this is not a trick question, guys. Look, this is like softball, amen? You can say something out through your mask. What do you say? Yeah, you teach your kids. Every time they get a gift, what do you say? Hey, what are you supposed to say, son? Thank you. You know why? Because it's a gift. And Paul understands that all of life, for all of humanity, it's all a gift. And our natural, heartfelt response is to say, thank you. Thank you. But what I have a tendency to do and what I'm prone to do and what you are prone to do is to own. Act like an owner instead of a steward. I've been um, <laughs> slowly reading through the Bible this year. <laughs> so, so slow, I'm on 2 Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> right, so it's like in November. Um, I've, I've been in and out of different things over the course of the years. And just as far as just spending time alone with the Lord, there's been seasons where I've just done Psalms, seasons where I've just kind of taken one book and spent like several months in it, just taking phrases and paragraphs. And, and this year I just said, all right, I'm, I'm just going to take my time and just kind of work through the whole of the Bible. I haven't done that in a really long time. And I'm, I do have a little plan, but I'm, I'm not like there's... You know, if you're, if you're like doing this super, love you, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but I'm just not like trying to feel the pressure of getting it done in a year. Like you don't get any prizes, right? It's not like you get in the new heavens and, oh man, you read the Bible 15 times in 15 years. Good job. I mean, just, just read the Bible. Amen. Like if it takes you 20 years to get to the Bible, so what? It's not like God's going, oh gosh, man, you're ridiculous. Right? No. Just, just read the Bible. It's really good for you. So I'm in 2 Samuel, and, and uh, I got to that passage of Scripture, that story, that narrative where David commits adultery. And it's interesting. It's both shocking, but then when I look at my own complexity of a human being, my own soul, it's not. And God sends Nathan after David tried to cover it up, sat with it for several months. God sends Nathan, a prophet of God, a friend of David, and shares a little story about the sheep. And David gets fired up. And notice how David, Nathan, responds to David. And obviously this is 
the Lord speaking through Nathan and pay attention to all the eyes. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. And this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? David decided to take ownership. I'm gonna do what I think feels good. I'm gonna do what I want to do that's pleasurable to me. I wanna do what I wanna do to fulfill my own desires. And in some ways, I'm gonna own Bathsheba and call for her and have her come sleep with me. David had forgotten who he was. And so do we. He's a steward. He's a tenant. He's not the owner. All of life is a gift. If you want to follow Jesus, it begins with this confession that he is Lord. Initial confession of that. We do it every time we do baptism, which is sacred confession. What do we say? Jesus is Lord. And then it's a lifelong journey of working that in us living into this status as a tenant, as a steward. Because all of life is a gift. Secondly, there, the religious leaders' greatest sin was not that they assumed a role that was reserved for God alone, which is a big deal, right? That's, that's not like something to, to blow over really quickly. But their greatest sin is that they rejected the one God sent to save them from their sin. I'll say it again. Their greatest sin, the religious leaders, right, and vicariously us also, is not that they assumed a role that was reserved for God alone, but that they rejected the one God sent to save them from their sin. Now, where do you see this, Lyle? How are you, are you making this up? No, you see it in, in three different little places in this little parable. The first is within the parable. Because where does the parable uh, kind of come to a climax? Or another way of asking the question, where in the parable does it feel like that's not going to happen? That feels improbable, right? That, that just feels a little too far-fetched. You know, sending the servants and they kill them. All right, I, I hear that. Sending them again. All right, maybe I can get there. But sending the son, that's crazy talk. And, and where in the parable it's improbable, Jesus is doing that on purpose in order to draw your attention. It's the rejection of the son that's the greatest sin that's going on here. We see it also in where Jesus quotes from Psalm uh, 118. You know, he, he, he turns to the religious leaders and says, you know, this question there in verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will you do to those farmers? And the religious leaders go, Oh, they will completely destroy those terrible men. They'll bring fire down rah, and lease his you know, vineyard to other farmers. I'm adding a little bit there. Who will give him his fruit of service? And then Jesus kind of turns the table on them. And I'm telling you, they know it. They know their Bibles. But man, they miss Jesus in it. 
He looks at them in verse 42 and says, have you never read the scriptures, man? Have you ever never read the Bible? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That is what the Lord has done and it is wonderful in our eyes. Jesus quotes out of Psalm 118 and he identifies himself as the stone here, the, the cornerstone, or some translation put the capstone, the keystone. There's different ways you can translate this word, but in essence, what it means is this. It's either the stone that held two rows of stones together in a corner or the wedge-shaped stone placed in the pinnacle of an arch that locked together ascending stones as this one right here. That would be, if they translate it, keystone. This is kind of the, the idea here, but the point is this, is that the suffering and the rejection of the son will be turned into the position of ultimate prominence and importance. It's not just that they took the role of trying to be God. It's that they primarily rejected his son. That's the greatest sin. We see it again in judgment that Jesus talks about, starting in verse 43, where he says this. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the, to the people producing its fruit. Verse 44, whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. At the center of how all of humanity will be ultimately judged is not on how well you lived. Not that that's not important and not that conviction, I believe you will be judged on how well you live. There's a God is a just God. And even in, in sentencing of punishment in hell, it'll be done in a just way. But ultimately, all of humanity will be judged on this one thing, on your response to Jesus Christ. That's it. He's at the center of all of history and all of humanity will stand before God the Father and they will be ultimately judged based upon their response to the Son that He sent on our behalf. As one commentator puts it, he says this, quoting you know, the phrase in the parable, last of all, He sent His Son to them. Jesus is not one of the servants. He is the Son. There is no sending of anyone else, servant or angel, after the sending of the Son. The Son is the final, last of all, sending of God. On the response to this great deed hangs the destiny of every human being. Because look, I know I'm talking to a lot of people that are church here. I just want to emphasize that phrase. You need to let this sit with you. And maybe this sitting with you will give you a, a, a kind of a, a renewed burden for family members who do not know Jesus or your neighbors who do not know Jesus or your coworkers or your schoolmates or people in this room who do not know Jesus. On the response to this great deed hangs the destiny of every human being. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, I've had so many people come to me and say, hey, Lau, are we in the last days? This craziness going on with the, with the COVID and the elections. Are we in the last days? I want to say, yes, we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended to heaven. It's not like some kind of age we're waiting for. No, we're in the last days right now. We're crying out loud. That's a no sermon in himself, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things. 
and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The, the greatest sin that these religious leaders doing, and ours also is not assuming a role that's reserved for God alone, but they rejected the one God has sent to save them from their sins. It's Jesus. Because I know you know this, most of us do, at the center of Christianity, it's not a set of rules. It's not. I mean, there's a place we're supposed to live in obedience and holiness. Yes, yes. But the center of Christianity is not the commands. The center of Christianity is a crucified, risen Savior whose name is Jesus. And every time we gather on Sundays and when we even leave out of here, we want our lives as followers of Jesus Christ to be about him. Because anything else is, is left wanting. It's a, it's a cesspool. It's like drinking toilet water. Amen. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, in this beautiful poem, starting in verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, look at this, say it out loud. How many knees? Every name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I missed on, here it is. And say it out loud, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. That's why sometimes I just want to encourage us, man, when we, when we pray for and we have conversations with people that aren't followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes we get so, like, okay, I, I'll just put I. I don't know if you do. I don't have conversations with you all the time. I don't know if this is where you are. I just get all hung up sometimes. I'm like, man, what if I don't answer this right? What if I ask this question about gender, sexuality, marriage, you know, pro-life, pro-choice? I mean, every issue that's going on in our culture today, it's like a hot button. What if they start talking about that? And man, what if I don't answer properly? I mean, you get, you get all these, get all kinds of anxiety. I felt that this week in some conversations I was having with some people. And it's like, man, what if they say this? And at the end of the day, though, here's the whole point. I can't answer all those questions. I feel this, I'm like, I got a, I got a seminary education for crying out loud. I got a master's degree. So I still feel that way. It's like, yes, I still, and it, I can go memorize all the answers. I would forget them, right? But I can tell them about Jesus. I can tell them about Jesus and how he has genuinely made me the man that I am today. That if it was not for Jesus Christ, I would not be here. And ultimately, that's really what matters, isn't it? That's where I'm trying to get the conversation to go, not in a manipulative way, not in like a bait and switch kind of way, but I am trying to get the conversation to where like, help me understand what you believe about Jesus. And usually my encouragement isn't, I just encourage you to read one of the four Gospels. I mean, anyone, no matter if they're Christian or not a Christian, most scholars would say that those are very accurate accounts of this man. And reading about this man, see if it does not do something in your heart. He's the most fabulous and beautiful and brilliant being that ever walked on this earth. The religious leader's greatest sin and our greatest sin is not that we're just assuming the role of God. 
Just when we reject his son, Jesus. And then lastly, and I'll be really quick. Appreciate y'all's patience. Lastly is this, and maybe this is what we go home sitting with. God is abounding in patience and love. You just hear that afresh. God is abounding in patience and love. I mean, he sent servants, and the farmers took his service, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third, 36. Again. Again. Really? He sent other servants. More than the first group. What? what? Why'd you just send one? Right? That's craziness. That seems crazy talk. That, that doesn't make sense to me. And they did the same to him. Like, I don't know. I'd be done now. But verse 37 says, finally, finally, he sends his son. <laughs> what? Right? Don't you feel that? Like, that seems moronish. Right? Why would you do that? An ordinary landlord would have punished his insolent, rebellious, and murderous tenants after the first rejection. He would not have sent another group of servants even more than the first time, and he would have definitely would not have sent his only son. That's crazy talk. But this is no ordinary landlord that Jesus is describing as the commentator says. Jesus knows that God is not as foolish as this parable pictures, but Jesus is willing to go to these links to convey an almost incredible description of patience and love. And every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ could get up here this morning and say yes to that, a resounding yes to that. And you can see it in your own story how God has been so patient with you and kind to you and loving to you when you did not deserve it. I love that picture when Moses says, man, I want to see your face, God. I want to see you. I want to, I want to see you. And God took Moses and hit him in a cliff like, you can't see my face, Moses, because if you saw my face, you would die but I'm going to pass in front of you. And look what is revealed about God in 34 verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses. And this is what the proclamation was. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This is what I want us to sit with. This is what I want us to reflect on. This is what I want us to engage our mind and hearts with. It's the kind of love that God has for you. And it's the kind of love that changes you, makes you into a, a brand new person. This love is a steadfast love. It never gives up. It's a staying power love. It's patient. What is the writer of Romans? What's Paul saying in Romans? It's, it's through God's loving kindness that leads you to repentance. Not his yelling at you. Not his pounding the table. His loving kindness leads you to repentance. I don't know if you guys get the same kind of mail that I get periodically. Sometimes I think I get it because I'm a pastor and they get wind of it and they send stuff to me and 
I don't know if they're trying to give like subliminal messages to me or whatever, but I got one the other day, like a little pamphlet, thick little pamphlet, big, big, thick thing. You know, it wasn't a book, but it was bigger than a pamphlet. I don't know what you call that. The middle, whatever that is. I don't know what it is. And I was going to get it and bring it here, but I threw it in my garbage can, like the big one, and we just emptied the trash. And it was way at the bottom. It's like, I, it's not worth it. So, and our garbage can's nasty and smelling. I'm not getting down in that stuff. Um, but but it, it's just, it just bothers me because the whole pamphlet was all about God's judgment. Just the whole thing. God's going to bring judgment on blah, 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 blah. Just all kinds of articles of anger, anger, anger. And, and I'm just thinking like, man, if my neighbors are getting this, this really bothers me. It really bothers me. Because when I look at the revelation of God in and through Jesus Christ, the people that he gets most angry with is not my neighbor, but us, church people. It's not by God yelling at the world does the world come to Christ. It's when his people embody the love of Jesus that draws people in. I had another friend that wanted me to put a, a praise sign in my yard. And I'm not against prayer, obviously, right? It's like I would be a heretic if I was against prayer. And in that little you know, prayer sign, I had the Chronicles passage that my people would call them and they would pray, blah, 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 I would heal this nation. I'm not, not saying blah, blah, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, I don't memorize it fully right now. I'm just going off the cuff here. I, I couldn't do it. And if you have a sign that says praise, so be it. You got all kinds of freedom here. I just couldn't do it because that, that sign is not for the world. That sign's for right here. Who are the people called by my name? Not the citizens of the United States of America. It's the church. It's us who are followers of Jesus Christ. We're the new Israel. And that verse is for us in this house to pray. The sign needs to be right here. Not in my front yard. Because all that's doing to my neighbors who don't know Christ is just yelling at them, you ain't worthy, you ain't worthy, you're a mess up, you're a foul, horrible person, God's out to get you. That's not the message I want them to hear. I want them to see that our God is abounding, oh my goodness, in love and patience and kindness. He is good. And at the same time, there is a limit. It doesn't cancel out the first. But there is a limit. Not a human limit. Right? I don't know if you're anything like me. I've got a cup of patience, right? Gets filled up throughout the day. Woo. By the time I get home, it's, it's not good. <laughs> right? It's not good for the boys, Right? God never runs out of patience. He never does. But equally true of God is that he's patient and just. And because of his justness, there is a limit. He says in verse 44, he who falls on this stone, talking about himself, will be broken. The stone falls on you, you will be crushed. In Exodus 34, 
This revelation of who God is, compassionate, long-suffering. What else he say? But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. It's not either or, it's both. So in light of this, man, we too forget that we are tenants and we try to own. We too forget at the center of Christianity as a person, his name is Jesus, and we are to strive to be Christ-like. And yet... God is patient. He's kind. He's loving. And he comes to you this morning with this invitation. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then trust him. Give your life to him. Cry out to him. Just because you believe in God does not make you a follower of Jesus Christ, guys. Just because you went to confirmation doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because you got baptized doesn't necessarily mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because you walked an aisle when you're eight years old doesn't mean you're necessarily a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you on a personal level cried out to Jesus that I want you come into my life? He's patient. This is your opportunity. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you call yourself a Christian, then may we with freedom and joy, be open-handed and praise the Holy Spirit, come and show me where I'm trying to own stuff, right? That's just not going to work. Help me see. Where am, I, where am I taking the reins back, God? Let's pray. Let's just take a few minutes here, just in quietness and stillness, and just ask how the Spirit of God may be stirring and moving in you. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.